0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode. For all the empaths and highly sensitive people I have, uh, you know, come across, it seems like codependency is a topic that seems to be coming up. So I decided to reach out to a therapist by the name of Nick uh, Bogner. He actually specializes in trauma and abuse, but more importantly, codependency, which seems to be one of the biggest issues for highly sensitive people. Um, We're going to take a closer look at this codependency, setting boundaries, sex and relationships, suicide, and also how to deal with certain situations in the workplace. This is an episode you definitely want to tune into, especially for those highly sensitive people out there. Let's get started. You're listening to the On Call
1: Empath Show.
0: Base here. The eagle has landed. Hey guys, welcome to the On Call Empath. I have a great show lined up for you today. I know that uh, I've been talking to a lot of the um, listeners out there, and uh, one of the topics that seems to be coming up is codependency. So I decided to reach out to Nick uh Wagner, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist out of Pasadena, California. He's actually an expert in this uh field and he's going to talk about his specialties dealing with codependency and he specializes in trauma and abuse. Uh Nick is on a mission of giving people inspiration and guidance um and also he's learning to cook so we're going to we're going to see uh, how that's turning out for him and Nick, how you doing today?
1: <laughs> good, good, good. I didn't know I was going to be put on the spot for my cooking, but fortunately, I'm on a hot streak with the pie, so I don't mind talking about it.
0: I'm learning myself too, so, um, so I just wanted to kind of, you know, dive right in, and um, if you could just tell, you know, talk sure. about a little bit what you do and and um, your practice, that'd be great.
1: Absolutely. Uh, well, first off, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Um, Um, the title of the job is marriage and family therapist, but that can be a little bit of a misnomer, although that's the title that we give talk therapists, um, or many talk therapists in California. Most of us, uh, focus on work with individuals. Um, and while I see a smattering of couples, most of my work is with adult individuals.
0: Very exciting. Um, so as you know, this, this, uh, podcast, we have a lot of empaths and highly sensitive people and um, I keep hearing over and over again codependency. So I, I figured, like, you know, I'd bring you on the show and maybe you can start by, off by kind of defining what codependency is and where does it actually originate from?
1: Okay. So um, in the early part of the, or early middle part of the last century, we started to look at families as systems, right? And prior to that, we sort of understood people as individuals that sort of clumped together. And then people began to understand that families work like machines. Uh, each cog is connected to each other cog and they move sort of in sync. Well, subsequent to that, people started to realize that uh, families with addicts in them were shaped different than families without addicts in them. Whereas previously, again, we had thought there's sort of a quote-unquote normal family system that happens to have an addict in it. What we realized mm-hmm. is that um, those families act in very different ways and shape themselves very differently from families without addicts. So um, the origination of the term is that in a family there'd be a dependent, somebody who is dependent on um, a substance or a behavior mm-hmm. um, in an addictive way. And then the other people in the family that sort of end up living their lives in service of that addict and their behavior are the co-dependents. So that's where that term comes from.
0: Very interesting. I always wondered myself is, you know, when you're, when you're growing up in maybe a dysfunctional household, saying that it could start early as infancy. Um, but I know that there's some environmental factors involved because um, it, it does get complex. Is it more, in a, uh, like more to do with your environment?
1: 100% uh, environmental. Um, I'm sure that there are certain temperaments that are more inclined towards it, but really um codependency is a is a conceptualization of how people act when they're in an environment um that supports an addict or an addict you know, a person who is in their addiction or addictive behavior.
0: I mean, I've always wondered that because um you know a lot a lot of the people obviously that tuned into this program, uh this podcast, um, you know, sometimes they might come from a abusive household with somebody who um you know is abusing them and then eventually you know they start to you know lose their identity and then the highly sensitive people especially they they have a excessive self-reliance on other people Uh, they tend to just just lack identity so
1: starts i mean we start getting those messages as early as we start getting messages right so while i don't know that anybody is born with it for sure, you know, as soon as you're a child, you're learning how to make your parents happy, or where you fit in your family, and so that those messages come very, very early.
0: It's one of the biggest things that I see even today. Um, you'll see people that have untreated, you know, they don't treat them, they don't go to the therapist, and then boom, one day they wake up and they're, you know, in middle age. And they're having problems like dealing with society and keeping a job. And so I wondered if you can kind of shed light on that. And, you know, can this be unlearned also can, if they see, seek out therapy?
1: And, and let me say that, you know, codependency comes from a, a really nice place. It's not a healthy thing, but it comes from a tendency and a desire to care for other people um and to to give to other people, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but much like an addictive substance, you know one or two is fine, and mm-hmm. then once you start stacking one on top of the other, <laughs> then you know you might be in a really dangerous place, right so yeah, a lot of people are working on this all over this great planet of ours uh there's a lot of work to be done in building an identity, and learning how to set boundaries with other people, um learning how to say no, learning how to recognize how you feel. In a situation where too much is being asked of you, absolutely. There are people people, uh, recovering from this all over the place. And for people who are interested, uh, there's actually a 12-step program. A lot of people don't know this for codependency called Codependence Anonymous. Um, And I, yeah, as a therapist, I send people to it all the time because it's excellent. And people generally have really great experiences there.
0: Yeah, quota.org. So if you guys are listening out there. You know, if, you ha- if you're if you dealing with that, you can check out that website. And they have online um, also, like, where, you know, a group of codependents, you know, they get together once a week. So it is it is a pretty uh, nice thing that they have going, and it's free. So what, what's your treatment plan? Um, I mean, how do you start somebody on a recovery process? If you it can walk us through that. It's highly dependent
1: on the like? individual, but here's a couple pieces that need to be in place. The um, first thing is the person has to know that there is something unhealthy going on, and we don't always know that. You know, a lot of times we phrase or we reframe our uh, our you know unhealthy or maladaptive behaviors as our great strength, right? So if I have learned that, that my value as a person comes from caring for other people, then it might be really hard for me to, you know, open my eyes and see that I'm really hurting myself by caring for this other person or that I'm keeping this other person sick by caring for this other person. So one thing is realizing that something, uh, isn't working. Uh, another part of this process is, is learning how to set boundaries with people. So learning how to say no, that doesn't work for me, or I'm not going to do it, or I will do it, but these are the terms under which I'm going to do it. Saying no is really hard for some people. Um, and sometimes, Raj, before we say no, we have to know that we want to say no. And we don't always know that either. So really, a lot of the, the sort of treatment planning or the process for people um, depends on how much insight they come into treatment with right? And there's no judgment around any of it. People come with all sorts. Um, but there's times where people are like, yeah, man, I can't say no to anybody. I'm working my fingers to the bone, taking care of people. I'm unhealthy. And then there's other times where people come and just feeling sort of anxious or depressed, and they don't realize that there is this set of unhealthy relationships in their lives that are producing this experience for them. Um, so, so, okay, so learning how to say no, learning that there is a problem, what are some other ones? Um, uh, having a sense of self um like you mentioned before you know one of the things that goes away when we learn to sort of pathologically take care of other people is we get really out of touch with who we are and what we want most of all and and it's actually non trivial to explore that topic uh and to look deep within yourself once your focus has been focused outside of you for such a long time so those are just a handful of steps there's a lot you know it's a whole lifestyle
0: no i'm i'm glad that you you brought that up because one of the i think the number one thing that i get from a lot of the listeners out there especially you code or you know the highly sensitive people uh saying no is the number one thing that causes like you know the big anxiety and um and that it leads to i've talked to a few people that you know when they keep saying yes um they get to a point where then they just blow up and and i'm talking about To the point where they're screaming, shouting, throwing stuff. Yes. Quite a while. It it may take, you know, a few months. But I know, I mean, people that have worked for employers even, they've just taken so many, you know, hits over the years. And finally, the day before they quit, they just go crazy and just throw stuff out out the window. (laughs) Or
1: they're too quick (laughs) if they go crazy, right?
0: Well, I, let me tell
1: you, I have some I have some a conceptualization that, that may be helpful for you. So the first thing is I, I think of things in terms of pendulums, right? So pendulums swing from extreme to extreme, right? Um, and the goal really if we're gonna be in health if we're gonna be healthy in most parts of our life is mm-hmm. to be in the middle, right? So if your pendulum has swung really far into one side, the I take care of everybody um all the time you know there's no me in in any part of this process like i just i'm selfless to the point where it's killing me the other extreme is i'm selfish to the point where it kills everybody else, right like you know everything is me i don't you know you get out of my face no don't bother me etc etc is on the other side of that thing right and so sometimes when we're learning how to get out of our end of the pendulum we end up swinging far in the other direction right so If we don't know how to say no, then when we finally do learn how to say no, it's like, fuck, no, get out of my face. That's thing one. Thing two that's really important, um, and this is one of the things I talk about in therapy a lot that I think is really important, um, is the codependent deal. So codependent people make a deal with the universe. And the deal is, I'm going to take care of you and all your needs. And in return, I expect you to take care of me. Right? And I... Right. And, and then the other caveat to that agreement is I wouldn't ask for anything unless I really needed it. Right. But here is the brutal part of that is that mm. I know it is a part of this deal. Right. So codependents are in the process of constantly being disappointed and hurt and enraged that here is this deal and no one is honoring yes. their end of it. And if I walk in and I say, Hey man, I need to borrow five bucks. Right. And you need to give it to me because I would never, ever, ever ask you for that or for anything unless I really, really needed it. But of course, no one else knows they're part of that deal. So part of part of the um, the process of working with it is is learning how to say what you want and what you need, um, and then how to learn to accept that other people might not want to work with you on those terms.
0: Very interesting. Sp- Point and that that makes me think of the four agreements. Um, I know that they talk about in that book um, about covert contracts. Where mm. I mean, especially with codependents and HSPs, we we expect that if I if I do something nice for you, and then I come back, I expect you to scratch my back. And when that doesn't right. happen. I mean, even just for normal people, I mean, just for anybody, like if I do something nice for you and then I ask you for a favor like a few days down the road and you're like, no, I can't. But then you're like, wait a minute, I did that for you. So it's like we're expecting something in return. So, you know, that does make a lot of sense, especially personally. It's like, you know, I you know, if I do something nice for you and it doesn't they don't reciprocate you know, it yeah. may cause like me to fall into maybe a small depression or maybe take right. me a couple of days to get over that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's so, it's so painful because we feel betrayed, you know, and it's really hard to understand, especially because many of us have built our lives on this framework. Like this is the, mm-hmm. this is the set of values that we have learned to live by. And so then to, to have somebody, you know, come along and say, well, actually, none of this is like that. You, you kind of made it up that way or it worked that way in your family of origin, but no one else is on board with that. That's bitterly
0: painful. It is And, and when you throw something like a narcissist in the mix, now you got a big problem oh, yeah. because now you have a codependent who's like, you know, especially if they're a parent, that's a narcissist or a boss or oh, somebody yeah. you work for. At that point, what, what would you tell somebody if they come to you and they're like, Hey, you know, I, I keep trying to keep my job. I'm afraid to say no. And, you know, they're financially, they're, they're abusing me where if I le- if I quit, they're going to, you know, maybe hold back my, my promotion or, you know, maybe fire me. And they're constantly being right. stressed 24-7. And I get a lot of that from, from people I speak to that are empaths and of highly course. sensitive people. So how do you deal with somebody who's extreme, like a narcissist who you can't say no to? They, they will really make your life a living hell.
1: Well, those examples that you gave are particularly brutal ones because those are those are involved with safety, right mm-hmm. um If it's your parent um and you're a child, then you know there can be real actual safety issues, whether it's you know really obvious stuff like physical abuse or whether it can be things like you know are they going to neglect me or kick me out if I stand up to them and then with your when it's a boss or a supervisor, yeah, you know like there can be real serious consequences to standing up to these people. So I think you know in any instance where we're dealing with safety my first question is can we get you to a place where you're safe like do we have options for you to be in a different place and it, and I mean that sounds extreme but if you're suffering real narcissistic abuse at work uh my question is you know how much is how much are they paying you for that and is it right, service, right? So if you're in a situation where you do have to deal with it though, then you have a couple of options. One thing you can do is you can you can start looking at it like, uh, sort of like the crocodile people at the you know the swamp theme parks in Florida, right? Do you know these people?
0: Oh yeah, the the Netflix, yeah.
1: Well, I mean that that too, but also there's just there's you know a thousand people in these parks in Florida that and their job every day is they go out and work with crocodiles. Oh yeah, and that's terrifying to me. (laughs) I don't want to be dealing with crocodiles under any circumstances because I understand crocodiles for what they are, which is you know like cold feeding machines, right? Right. And to them, I'm a meal, right? Well, on the other hand, though. If you know to be afraid of crocodiles, then you are in a good position to work with crocodiles. Those guys are effective in their job as long as they understand to be afraid of the crocodiles. Right. And so if you're in a situation where you're dealing with somebody who's really toxic for you or at work, let's say, um, then you need to handle them with a really different set of skills. Um, you need to handle them like they are a dangerous animal and right. keep them at an arm's length and be really precise with them. Um, and have really serious boundaries with them because they can and they very well may hurt you. Um, if you let that guard down, but then the, the longer game is, you know, how can we get you the fuck out of there? Right. If you have somebody that's abusing you, you know, like that's the real thing and codependence will stay forever. Um, in these situations, you know, another thing I'll say just as an aside as a therapist is that you also don't need to solve it internally before you leave. Right. And I say this because. I had a I had a job that was really tearing me apart some years ago before I was a therapist and I was in therapy and God help me I just wouldn't quit it because <laughs> I wanted to I wanted therapy to make me better. I wanted therapy to make me love it or make me okay with it, right? And then in retrospect once I quit, I quit for a different reason. It was like, oh, the answer was to quit four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I was like, maybe there's nothing, you know, uh, shitty things, you know, smell bad. So maybe there was nothing that was going to make this thing okay. Maybe there was nothing that was going to make this job okay for me. Maybe the answer was get
0: out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my answer. God. I had a very good paying job once. It was in Arizona. It was for a, uh, one of those uh, nursing schools. And I had like three or four bosses I had to answer to. I was very good at what I did, I thought, but I kept I kept going to work, but when I got there, you know, they they would give me all the things that you're talking about as far as, you know, they they there would be narcissist boss, they would, you know, talk to me when only when they needed something, talk down to me. So I I actually put up with that because I had to justify like the okay, so I'm getting paid this much, so basically, they're abusing me, so. I have to make a, a decision like, do I take the abuse for this much on money or do I take a little pay cut and go to somewhere else yeah. and I might have my mental, you know, my, when I get home, I'm not going to want to like, you know, jump off a yeah. window, you know, or something like that. My paycheck, I'm like, how long I can I milk work, this I until I, I go crazy or go to the <laughs> emergency room?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, something that I think that you know now and I know now, but that other people may not know, which is that like. I'm being a little cheeky about do they pay you enough for that? And I'm going to say, like, the answer is probably not, right? You only get one psyche, one brain, one life. (laughs) I mean, you know, there's situations where it pays to make the money and take the abuse, but I think most times it doesn't. That's a metaphor for our growing up process because when we're little kids, little kids, no matter what situation they're in, they normalize what's going on around them. So to every little kid, their situation is normal, and it's and so I feel like that's why a lot of us, you know, take a lot of abuse, you know, especially as young people in jobs. You know, you're younger, you have less power, you have fewer skills, and so then often, you know, they pay you the least and and uh, um, you know treat you abusively. But when you're when you've been around the block a few times, you start to understand that it, that's not necessarily normal. It doesn't have to be that way. I don't have to put up with that kind of abuse. Um, and so for a lot of us who grew up in households where we learned to be codependent as young people, that's where the glass starts to crack a little bit. And in a good way, you start to see like, oh, right, this, this actually doesn't have to be my experience. I, I actually can be so much more in charge of myself and so much less in charge of everyone else than I think I am and need to be.
0: One thing I want to point out is like, even with, for, you know, forget about the work part. If I had, I mean, personally, if, if I had learned it growing up, you know, to have boundaries and be in a good environment where I was supportive. I don't think I would have these issues. In fact, if I if I had seen it and I was, you know, in a place where I was safe and everything growing up, I probably would have said no the first time instead of letting it slide and then saying, oh, they, they you know, it's just one time. But like because of like how I was raised and the people I was around, I think that impacted me in the workforce also. So I think it did. You were right. It does start at a young age.
1: Well, and work workplaces are families, too, whether we would like to admit it or not. They're for sure systems and they're virtually always families. And so, you know, a lot of times we end up seeking out that, you know, a workplace either because of or in spite of the family um, that we come from. And I've certainly worked for businesses where they wanted, you know, and I've, nobody knew they were doing this, but where they wanted people who were codependent to come in, right? Like we want people who are gonna come in and say, yes, I'll stay as late as you want me to Say, No, I don't need any time off. Yes, I can work when I'm sick. Um, you know, your wish is my command. Like there's businesses that really um seek out those kind of people and it gets really unhealthy. <laughs>
0: I had one, you know, just recently, you know, not too long ago, but it was a gym I worked for, but I'm glad I'm out of that place. Um, (laughs) But um, I I want to switch gears here real quick. I know that, um, you know, there's a lot of treatment out there and and obviously you're very good at what you do, you know, and you know, you know, codependency, you understand it. If let's say um, somebody has never gotten treatment and they just let it go and they don't, seek treatment at all they think Mm -hmm. they can handle it and they don't admit it and it starts to lead more can it lead towards suicide i mean i I don't want to you know
1: scare people but any situation where you feel sad enough and hopeless and helpless enough can lead to suicidal ideation um you know in fact i would say most people at some point in their lives have some form of suicidal ideation right like the 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 fantasy of of all of my troubles being over or not having to be here is a really, really common one. Where suicidal ideation, you know, gets to a place where we need to really intervene on it is when people start making plans um, to carry that out. Uh, But yeah, absolutely. If you're in a place where, you know, things are terrible for you and you don't think that they're going to get any better. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I don't want to make up a story for you, but you know, if you had been in that job in Arizona and it was a nightmare, but there was a part of you that believed that you didn't have the capacity to quit it and that you were just going to have to work there for the rest of your life, uh, you know, I wouldn't blame you for having the thought cross your mind, you know?
0: Yeah. And the other thing is like a lot of these environments are like they're all sometimes they're family oriented. So they have yeah. like their cousins and brothers and sisters and, um, you know, all their their relatives in the high position. So they, they get them through the back yeah. door and they're not even qualified for the position. And that's one thing that I can say that in my career, working for almost 40 employers, I've seen that where they bring in some relative and then they put them in charge, you know, um, and they have no, you know, education. They they don't know anything, but they're like the VP of, you know, marketing. And I'm like, how how is that possible? Like, that's one thing I've noticed.
1: <laughs> Sometimes we're stuck in a really... You know, you and I have talked a lot about work and professionalism, but sometimes we're stuck in a family um, that has a, a really unhealthy system. And that can feel really dooming to people, too. What what happens if I want to change or want to set boundaries with my family and they reject me? And, you know, sometimes that happens. But I feel like a lot of times when the smoke clears, once you're not under all of that pressure from people to, you know, take care of other people at your own expense, then suddenly the life can be richer. Even if you lose a few people along the way.
0: Wow. And so I guess like the people that are listening out there, I mean, definitely if you're, if you're facing anything um, like this, there is help out there. So definitely, you know, look out, you know, to that coda.org or, you know, look out for a therapist, but there is ways to get over this. So, um, so that leads me to ask you, as far as self-care tips, um, what would you suggest as far as like coping and patient treatment? Uh, what are some good self-care tips that you can just kind of leave us with? Good
1: self-care tips. Well, again, it's, it's pretty individualized to the situation, but I would say to anyone listening, if uh, I'm going to say a phrase here, and the phrase is, that doesn't work for me. And I would urge anyone listening to ask yourself whether that's a phrase you say or whether that's a phrase you feel comfortable saying. And if it's not, then I would encourage you to say it 200 times a day to yourself. Um, say it in the morning, noon, and night and then practicing it with other people when it's applicable. That doesn't work for me. And it doesn't have to be a, um, a fight. I always think, here's another skill for you. This segues into this. Um, I have a, a little skill set I like to use called channeling my inner weatherman, right? <laughs> which is which is this, right? So when you're when you're a weather person, right, you share the news about what the weather will be, and you don't have any passion about it. It's not really up to interpretation uh, or opinion. It's just the weather. It's going to be what it's going to be. It's going to be 97 degrees and sun in sunny today, and it's going to be 40 degrees in icy tomorrow. And there's nothing that you or me or anybody can do about it. And this is the same way when we're delivering news or setting boundaries with other people. And I think a lot of times we tend to want to do the sort of rocky warm-up dance and be like, you know, get ready, like I'm gonna get in there and I'm just gonna tell them how it's
0: gonna be. Get in our heads. Right?
1: So. Yeah, and you have your fists up and you're like, yeah, you know, like, come at me, right? But you don't, you shouldn't be getting into a fight, right? And then also sometimes we want to get really defensive and we want to say like, and I'm gonna come in and if they say, well, I don't like that, then I'm gonna say, well, you here's what you need to understand. And then we end up having an argument with them in our head, you know, like this defensive thing. Well, Raj, I don't need you to believe me about the weather because the weather is just mm. the fucking truth. So right. when I go in and I have a boundary to set with somebody, I don't fight them and I don't defend myself. I just tell them the truth. I tell them how it's going to be. And then hopefully they can come with me on that journey. And if they can't, then God bless. But we're not going to be on this journey together. So, uh, so... Repeat the phrase, that doesn't work for me 100 times a day. And also, channel your inner weather person um, when you're preparing to have a challenging discussion with people.
0: And so I love that. I'm going to write that down. But I know that some people, like manipulative people especially, if they ask you, um, can you – can you elaborate on that? Or do you just stay quiet and say uh, and repeat that phrase until they leave you alone? Because there are some people that will be like, I, I don't understand what that means.
1: Well, so asking for clarification is totally acceptable and it's even good. Um, debating in an instance where it's about my boundaries is not welcome. So if somebody really wants to understand, then I'm happy to tell them. But like, I, I want you to understand why this, you know, why this doesn't work for me. But if it has that texture of, um, I want to ask you why, so I can punch a hole in it, then um, I'm probably not, I'm, you know, silent is an option, right? It's always an option. I might say, yeah, actually, I don't really want to discuss that with you. I'm just yeah. telling you how it is. Wow. And then silence, be a therapist, man. Therapist, are you kidding me? Like we get paid by the hour and we get, and we're silent. Use that, I let's do a little experiment with you, Raj. I'm going to be silent with you for about 15 seconds and we're going to see how uncomfortable that makes you with this dead air.
0: Yes, I'm already I'm already uncomfortable as it is. I don't like what? silence. Yeah, you don't
1: like it, right? So if you learn to master that, then suddenly you you don't have to attack, you don't have to defend. You're just being yourself, you set your boundaries and the other person is like, "Well, well, well, well wait a minute, hold on, you know?" And I don't need to hold on. I just told you to the weather. I'm on my way.
0: Effective um especially you know, the HSPs and the empaths that are listening out there for anybody that, you know, I know a lot of them have gone through past trauma and they may be with somebody who provokes them. Try that. Yeah. See if that works. I mean, I'm going to try that, too, like anywhere I go. Because I get, I get asked all the time, hey, you want to do yeah. this? You want to do that? That doesn't work for me. And then they'll try to come back and be like, okay, how mm-hmm. about if we do this? And they try to make a sweeter deal. And I'll repeat it. They'll just try to get something out of my ass. like. <laughs> Well, t- if they make a clean enough deal, I think they want the Yes. And- Eating it, like, until they yeah. go to somebody else. Because once they smell blood, they're going to go after the weakest I mean, link. yeah, that's
1: part of it. And I want to, like, I also, there's some people that are really predatory like that. And then there's other people who are less um, nefarious than that, who just don't really have those boundaries. And that's, that's where I think we're, like, a lot of times, the other side of it, We've talked, you know, we've treaded the ground of, like, you can set boundaries with people and they can lead. But the other thing is that sometimes you set boundaries with people and they meet them, which is great. If you if you start setting boundaries with people, and this is actually what I'm really working towards with people. I'm, you know, I'm, old, I'm rarely working with people to, like, get these people out of your life. It's more like if you hold people to a higher standard, a lot of times they're going to meet your, your expectations. And that's fantastic.
0: The trash will take itself out. So that's you're weeding off. You're weeding off all the bad people because some people, they, they they can't, you know, they don't like people like, you know, standing up to them. So they'll try to pick on you until you pop. But then if you keep putting up, you know, like you said, you know, it doesn't work for me, they're going to find somebody else eventually. And that's, I mean, that's what I've kind of noticed, uh, especially with a lot of the people that I've come come across where they're, they're trying to look and they're trying to find like a like a chink in your armor to get through. But then when they can't, then they'll they'll just kind of let go and go to somebody else and they just kind of well, go that way.
1: Some of them will say, what does work for you? I mean, that's the other piece of it is that there really is a world where you get what you want. There's a world where no is a real answer or where yes is yes. a real answer. And so I really, but this is another thing, is I really encourage people to hold themselves and those in their lives to higher standards. Um, and, right. You know, I think that it can be really self-defeating not to hold yourself to high standards. And I think it can be really isolating mm-hmm. not to hold other people to high standards. Um, and I, if anybody's thinking about it, I would encourage you to try it for a week and tell me how it because people are often going to meet those expectations. Right. Um,
0: yeah. So with that said, um, Nick, before we, we take off here, can you just leave us with one piece of advice, um, for anybody that's listening out there that that is suffering, that's going through codependency, been through trauma, is there something that you'd like to leave us with? So
1: what I want to leave people with is this. No is a great answer. Um, the truth is a great answer. Even if the truth is unpleasant, the truth is a great answer. So tell the truth.
0: <laughs> there you have it. Tell the truth. Even if, means, even if that means they're going to yell and scream at you, just know that it's only temporary. And you're respecting them by telling them the truth, right? I mean, it's, think of how disrespectful it is. To,
1: to deny other people the truth, right? And it's worse, that's abusive, right? And I think a lot of times we do it, we're worried about how people will react. Um, but tell the truth this week.
0: That movie Liar Liar. <laughs> <laughs> that movie kills me. That movie kills me. That's, like, that's what comes to my head right now. Like... <laughs> well, this is the thing. Okay, so let's,
1: give me two seconds here. The difference yeah. the problem with Liar Liar is that the difference between honesty and candor is very, very important, right? And he could have told the truth over and over again and just not opened his mouth some of the time, right? And that's, yeah. and that's the balance that I'm urging your listenership to strike, is that like you don't have to be honest about absolutely everything that crosses your mind, but I would encourage you to be honest about you as long as it's safe.
0: Very good advice. Nick, it's been a pleasure having you on this podcast. Uh, before we take off, can you just tell us your you know contact uh, website or anything you'd like to shout out to anybody?
1: Love to. Thank you for the opportunity. First off, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to yeah. talk to you. Uh, folks, if you want to see me, my website is uh, nickbognertherapy.com, B-O-G-N-A-R. Um, I am on Instagram at, at Nick Bogner, Um And I actually have a sporadic podcast uh, about joyful living uh, called More Exemplary. And that's available on all the platforms and also moreexemplary.com. Uh, so if you reach out to me, I will respond. I love uh, talking to people. Uh, and I hope that I see some of you down the road.
0: Abbott, I wish I had like therapists like this when I was growing up. I just I wasn't lucky, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> <That's so> kind, <laughs> just kept going and I was trying to I'm like, man, I gotta find a cool one, but you, you live a little bit too far. So <laughs> <laughs> But with that said, thanks again for being on this show. Uh, I had a blast. I learned a lot. Um hope you guys learned a lot too. Uh, Stay tuned for the next episode, and always, if you can uh, leave a review on Apple iTunes, it helps me out, bring more people like Nick here on the podcast, and it keeps growing. Uh, With that said, thanks so much, and we are out.
1: You're listening to the On Call